Some cults are good, most cults are bad, but I'll tell you what really makes me sad. I can't decide which cult to join. If only there were a podcast out there to rank all the cults using some sort of bracket system like they do for basketball playoffs for college teams. It's madness, madness. Grazing in the grass is a gas. Baby, can you dig it? I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it. It's karaoke night here. Because it's too hot. We can't even sit out on the front porch. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> it was so hot that I was hot in London. And <laughs> was, it wasn't it wasn't hot in London. You were just still hot. I was just still hot. And it was my birthday. Woo. Happy birthday to you. Thank Happy you. Birthday. Thank God. I'm sweating like a 53-year-old lady over here, oh. let me tell you. Congratulations. Right on schedule. Bonjour. So, yeah, since we were here with you last time, I have been to Europe and back and started school. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a big Yay! week for me. <laughs> my big thing was on Tuesday, uh, my son and I went to uh, Shawnee. Shompton. Shompton. Straight out of Shompton. Yeah, uh, learner's permit. Nice. Because waiting in... I only had to wait two hours in Shawnee. Well, thanks to the governor, the the Oklahoma government making it really hard. Kevin Stitt for brains. Kevin Stitt for brains. (laughs) And maybe just started before him in the long, arduous trek to make it harder to vote. Right. It's a fucking nightmare to get an ID. Yes. Because you need an ID to vote and you don't want like Negroes voting. So you need to make things difficult for for them. Yeah. First, it's like, oh, make an appointment online. New appointments open at 6 p.m. Yes, new appointments yes. open at 6 p.m. Make an appointment they, online. Here's you your you appointment a, in two months. About two minutes to do it. Uh-huh. If you have internet access. If you have internet right. access. Right. Or a ride to the Department of Public Safety mm-hmm. where you can wait all day. Or you can go to Enid or, in our case, Shawnee. Shawnee. Uh-huh. Yeah. Show up first come, first serve. And wait for two hours for, you know, your 10-minute paperwork yep. thing. It is 100% geared toward voter suppression. It, it is. is. It's amazing. Which is ridiculous because in Oklahoma, it's like, who are you going to oh suppress? There's only God, like four seriously. Democrats here. <laughs> it's pathetic. But it is. Right. No, it, it is. It's part of criminalizing poverty and mm-hmm. otherness and, and color. And yeah. all of that shit. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, like, when he passes his driver's test. Yes. All he has to do is go to the tag agency. Oh, and get the phone. So Those, it's easy to get a driver's license. It is not because I just had mine renewed and you have to make an appointment real ID online. Now. Yes, I had to do a real ID. We watched a, l- a little film about real ID um, <clears throat> while waiting uh-huh. at the Department of Public Safety in Shawnee, which I swear to God, I'm like, is this like an abandoned school? <laughs> it's like nobody's it used to be a Sam's Club. and now it's know, I don't know. It used to be like the Water Resources Board or something. <laughs> But there was a little film about everything you needed to get a real ID and then like all the things that you don't all the things that will like work if you don't have a real ID, mm-hmm. which I'm like, well, if this works instead of a real ID, why, why do I need? No, because you have to because we want you to criminalize your poverty. <laughs> we want to make it harder for you to vote and travel and travel. Uh-huh. We uh, we're talking now I'm back to school. We had a. You know, first of the day, teachers' meetings, and we're all sitting around talking about this and that. And it's like, okay, Monday, the kids can come and meet the teacher and do that. And if they come, they have to show a photo ID. And it has to just be, I was like, they, it has to be a photo ID. It has to be like a, a, a driver's license or just a photo ID. And like a weed card. And I said, can they use their weed card? <laughs> she goes, 
I guess that has a photo on it. So it is a state-issued identification <laughs> with a hologram, a signature, number, and a, a number, and a photo. <laughs> Probably closer to being a real ID than our driver's license. Also true. <laughs> so I'm just going to start using that from now on. But here you go. Oh, here we go. There we go. I used mine when we refinanced our house. <laughs> and so they were like, we need like two forms of ID from each of you, you know, okay. bank shit. And I was like, I have a passport. And I was like, I've got my weed card. And the guy's like, that'll work. That'll work. State-issued right. ID. Right. But I also uh, told my son when we were waiting, I was like, whenever I was in high school, if you lost your driver's license, all you had to do was take your birth certificate to the tag agency <laughs> or take a, a birth, birth certificate. certificate. I swear to, to you the, that I am 28 years old. Harriet Wilson, 43. <laughs> right. I was like, but that's if you got carded, which is which was me. Yeah. <laughs> I knew a girl who worked at the Buy for Less up by John Marshall. Uh-huh. And, um... Hey Lisa, and um, you could you could go through her line, and she would be like, "May I see your ID, please?" <laughs> so she's like, "You would hand her your driver's <laughs> license," and she would be like, "Thank, Thank you." <laughs> well, I have my only. That was back when you could like take your driver's license apart, apart right, and like cut things and then relaminate it. Uh-huh. Especially if your mom was the librarian and had the laminator in her office. We never did that though. Cause we, we never were did squares. Oh, we were totes squares exactly. <laughs> the only I tried to get a fake ID one time because I wanted to get into the Bowery to see Skinny Puppy, mm-hmm. but we the flea market closed just as we got there. Old Paris. Old Paris, man. <sighs> that's that's Boy. also where you went for a fake ID. That is where you went for a fake you ID. You could have gotten a skinny puppy at Old Paris. I, right, I could have gotten a skinny puppy at Old Paris. <laughs> or their companion act wormy puppy. <laughs> it's kennel cough puppy. <laughs> Parvo puppy. <laughs> that's a, this is our new uh, Palooza mm. Head, headlining. Parvo. Oh my god, you just said Palooza. So I was at physical therapy yesterday because I have a... Therapalooza! Therapalooza! Because <laughs> I have a, problems with my shoulder. And there's TVs. Mm-hmm. And I was laying there and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because I was I started out on this... It's called the arm bike. Yes, yes, And you yes. do the arm bike. So I get my shoulder warmed up and I looked over at the TV and there was a guy on a pogo stick. Okay. Bouncing around the pogo stick to a series of obstacles, including like an incline trampoline and like uh, some stuff that looks like a big old porta pit uh-huh. and like a thing that you jump up on and then you do like flips oh, off it so on your pogo like stick. Extreme pogoing. It's called Pogo Palooza, and <laughs> I, I, lo- I was like arm bike. I'm like, what the fuck? You're just doing your pogo stick on the trampoline. I glanced away. I glanced back. Dude is being carried off the field. <laughs> And, and I was like, we were in the physical therapy office, and but the lady was working with me, and she's like, oh, man, I'm going to see them in like 10 minutes. And I was like, is this like the leg breaker competition? <laughs> and so we just laughed about it the whole time. And there was this dude named like Russ, Danger Russ, Danger like, you Russ. know, Hayes or something oh, yeah. like that. And uh, he ended up winning. Mild concussion. Yeah, he ended up winning, and they like ran out with this trophy that looked like a plastic funerary urn mm-hmm. that had been spray painted gold with a plastic <laughs> pogo stick on top of it and uh, like the whole thing was maybe like four and a half feet tall yeah. was, but the thing is wow. you could see him and he was holding the bottom of it and holding the top because it was coming apart you can clearly tell that this is busting oh, this is oh, busting right amazing. now and then they did like an aerial drone shot and it was just like this is like three things set up in front of uh, basically like the JV bleachers <laughs> <laughs> and Brian and I know you'll appreciate this it was on ESPN, the Ocho. The Ocho. Shut up. It was on the Ocho. Oh yeah. My God. After after Pogo Palooza, 
went off. It was a cornhole competition <laughs> from the American the Cornhole League. I was like, your ACL league. <laughs> and at first I thought it was just, you know, like dudes cornholing. But I was like, these are some pretty big sponsors, you know. <laughs> well, and then I looked and it sponsors was. Sponsors sponsor fucking anything. <laughs> they will. Well, sport people will watch anything in the off season. <laughs> I know. But um, the thing, it was two teams. And then for a second, it's like. Of the two teams, there was one guy on each team. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then I looked at the other one. I was like, that's Doug Flutie. Wow. <laughs> and like celebrity cornhole. Jay Cutler, who I know. Oh, my God. Right. Uh, that's hilarious. And I was just like. Fucking Jay Cutler. I was like, what the God. fuck is that? Flavor Flav is hosting this? Flavor Flav? Flavor Flav is hosting uh, yeah. God, of course he is. <laughs> It's just like man's got to work. The Ocho, the Ocho, Flavor Flav, who gave us Brittany New York Patterson, Tiffany New York Pollard. Pollard, that was it. Tiffany New York Pollard. All right, so that was my week. That's a really good one. I brought you guys prezzies. You want prezzies? Is it a pogo stick? It's it's Flavor Flav. He's right here in this little tote bag. What? God hates clocks. Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. Yes. Okay, I'm ready for prezzies. Okay. First is one of Aaron's prezzies, and this came from the best uh, junk store in London, which is, like, so terrifying. It's a storefront that's packed with stuff, and you can't get inside, and then there's two old dudes that sit out on a sidewalk. And, uh, God fucking knows. God what, fucking knows what's in How far there. it goes back. Uh-huh. I mean, this is Britain. Like, you go down, like, nine I stories. I was going to say it goes down, and you're like, this used to be a street, and right. then the street was raised. That's right. You you're, can still, there's a barber shop down here that's like war orphans. Right. <laughs> still down there. And it was very funny because I was buying the things that I was buying there. And then the old guys were like being wacky with me. He goes, you want me to fax this to you? And mm. I said, no, I'll eat it here. And they thought that was the funniest thing. Oh, man. <laughs> so, okay, here you go. Hand that to her. It is a runcible spoon from the 37 Coronation. Fantastic. Oh, my God. I, I, I love like their, like this is, you, this is your commemorative uh-huh. little thing. But instead of getting a commemorative spoon... It's like a little fork with a knife on the side. Fork with a knife on the side. It's a runcible spoon. Yes. Like you can, like, you can use it. Um, like a roll oh, doll's wow. dad. Roll doll's dad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this is this is your your fish bone mm-hmm. that you can get the bone. The so. fish bone, fish boner. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna have to slap a little silver polish. It on does here. need, but I believe it's actual silver. So I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> it's got it on the back, and it there's. Uh, there she is. There she is. That is amazing. Oh. It is. Okay, Brian. Here's yeah, the present oh for you. In the Elizabeth Line upholstery moquette pattern. Oh, my God. some Elizabeth Line socks. The Elizabeth Line is the newest one. Is the newest one. Queen Elizabeth just opened it. It's overground light rail, but it's part of the underground system. You can just use it with your Oyster card. Mm -hmm. And that's the upholstery. upholstery. They all have different. You could also get a chair. I could get an entire chair upholstered in that. Oh, wow. And I learned that the different, every tube has its own pattern. Huh. The, the upholstery on every tube line has its own pattern, and it's unique to that line. And that they're it's, that the designs are called moquettes. So you wow. talk about the Elizabeth line moquette or the Northern line moquette. That's crazy. Wow. I yeah. wonder. Thanks. You're welcome. And they're cool. And it's I wonder if I like their socks. And I learned something. That's right. <laughs> I wonder if maybe it started like as a decorative thing, but also as a like. If you don't know which train you're and on, and can't read, know, right? and can't read, uh-huh. you can recognize this upholstery. Uh-huh. This is my right one. Uh huh. And they're they're fairly nice quality socks. Yeah. I felt them. They feel good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And Aaron, kind of yes. Them. I have been looking for oh, one of what these up? for you. 
for a very long time. <laughs> Every time I go to London, I look through the used bookstores or the thrift stores and I glance around just mm-hmm. to find one. And I finally found one. I wanted this author. I don't care what title. Okay. And I found it in a, like, free books, take one. Nice. This is very exciting. Oh, shit. So here you go. The Judith Krantz of <gasps> London. Jilly Cooper. Jilly Cooper. I've read writers. Oh, oh well, this oh, one is shit. called Jump. Back in the Saddle. Jump. It's called Jump. Jump. Here, I'm going to wow. do a little. Yes. Whip it. There's a, this is a really big one. There's a list at the beginning cover. of all of the characters. Okay, let's. what's the blurb, Aaron? What's the blurb? Jilly Cooper returns to horses in the fabulously entertaining romp in, through the world of jump racing. Jump racing! Jump! I read the first, like, five p- chapters of this. Okay, I'm trying to get my microphone over here. It's a fat book. It's a gigantic book. Here we go. I really do need bifocals. Yeah, um, let's try. I have trifocals. It's cool. I'm going to. I'm going on uh, Monday. It says Etta Bancroft, sweet, kind, still beautiful, adores racing and harbors a crush on one of its stars, the handsome, high-handed owner trainer Rupert Campbell Black. Bad news. Bad news. Uh-uh. But when her bullying husband dies, Etta's selfish, ambitious children drag her from her lovely Dorset home to live in a hideous modern bungalow in the Cotswolds village of Willowwood. Uh-huh. That's what I've always heard about the Cotswolds. It's a nightmare. The village is fine. It's the house they built her <laughs> Etta's life changes when in the snow in the nearby woods she finds a horribly mutilated filly which she names mrs wilkinson and nurses back to health the filly charms everyone in the village and then tests reveal her to be a spectacularly well-bred racehorse what what watch out for the ira <laughs> after a nail-biting course case she is awarded to court case she is awarded to etta thus entering the lasting and v- ensuring the lasting and vengeful enmity of her former trainer and owner. A village syndicate is formed to put the filly into training, consisting of a riotous mix of local characters who set off on the races in a minibus, clanking with bottles. Ridden <laughs> with by Rupert's delectable goddaughter, Amber, mm-hmm. Mrs. Wilkinson captivates vast crowds as she progresses from, one point to ma- from point to point to major races and brings fame and fortune to the syndicate until at last she is entered into the Grand National. Can she be the first mayor in over 50 years and Amber be the first woman ever? To win this mighty race? But what about the pie? What about <laughs> young Elizabeth Taylor? Yeah, Somebody else's... A woman has won the Grand National Whoa. before. Oh, the book, the dust jacket's on upside down, so I was like, I'm going to read it out. Oh, it's upside oh, that's down. Sorry. I took it off. I took it off so that when I went downstairs <laughs> at my pub to read while I was having dinner, nobody would know I was reading a Jilly Cooper novel. I love it. I am very glad. I have, I have read writers, and it is... Hi, Judith Krantz. Yes. It's good. So I am very pleased. Fantastic. To bring it along to you today. Oh, sh- look. If you see from the cover here, she's sitting in the Christine Keeler chair. She is sitting in the Christine Keeler chair with her legs around it just like Christine. I've seen that chair. It's, it's at the B&A. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yes. Oh, she is. I didn't notice that. Hooray. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So, well, I have a story that kind of is in the similar. I'm ready to hear a story. you're ready to hear a story. Aaron. Yes. Tonight we're going to take a butcher's hook at a diamond geezer from the history of the old smoke. <gasps> we're going to nip up the apples and pears, have one more gasper before we put on our titfers and have a serious rabbit and pork about the origin and the history of the pearly kings and queens Yay! of London. Which have a very interesting history. I know just enough Cockney rhyming slang to know kind of what you were talking about. I know what a butcher's hook is. A butcher's hook? Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to nip up the apples and pears, mm-hmm. the stairs. Stairs like mm-hmm. stairs I caught. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to have a serious rabbit and pork talk. Oh, yes. yes. And uh, so there you go. And diamond geezer, I just love that phrase. But yeah. So yes, I need we- some like English urban fiction called diamond geezer. <laughs> <laughs> you do. That's a matter of fact. 
So, yes, the Pearly Kings. Uh, when I think of the Pearly Kings and Queens, I think of they're in the animated part of Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I also remember At a period point, when uh, I was watching EastEnders and yes. there was this whole thing about Jean yes. being the Pearly Queen. Being the Pearly Queen. And But Jean has problems. Jean has problems and you can't just become the Pearly King. No. As we will see. No. So. Pearly Kings and Queens originated from a different tradition that we will get to, but it is generally believed that a man named Henry Croft mm-hmm. was the original Pearly King, King of the Pearly Kings. <laughs> he had undiagnosed mental illness and shell shock. <laughs> well... <laughs> He was, he was born in 1861 at the St. Pancras Workhouse oh. in Kings Road, oh. Somerstown, North London. Dear God. Where his mother had been admitted earlier that day. Mother and child. Charles, that day? Earlier that day. Like, I'm pregnant. I'm in labor. Come into the workhouse, ma'am. Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, they were discharged a fortnight later and returned to presumably what the records show as their home, number 10, Fitzroy Market. <laughs> okay. In? In uh, North East London. Okay. Yeah. Yes? I have a quick question. Yes. Is this a situation where if I listen long enough, it will be made clear to me what the Pearly Kings and yes. Queens are? Yes. My God, I have no idea. Okay. Well, then, thank you. <laughs> you, have, you know what they are. You've seen them. Imagine a... The British man and woman wearing a black hat, black coat, black, and covered in white buttons. In designs. Design. Pother of pearl buttons. Oh. Uh-huh. All over their clothes. All over. Huh. Like, like touching. Yes. yes. The one that's called a smother suit, mm-hmm. if they're completely covered in mother of pearl buttons. Mm-hmm. And it's called a skeleton suit if it has, like, lines. on the scene, mm-hmm. lines and designs. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, yes. And I to jump ahead, there is a pearly king, queen, Prince, court. princess, and court of every one of the 28 London boroughs. It started off among the costermongers. Well, well okay. read the story. Here we go. We will see. Yes, but that's I, the Pearly King. Oh, thing. that's the, that who has, they have Mother of Pearl. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Let's see. Their address was given. And they were sent off with a dole of two shillings, which is about 11 pounds today. So, ma'am, here Ooh. you had a baby. Here's your 11 pounds. Best of luck to you. Well, you know. Oh, God. You know, two shillings that go a long you, time that day. That's true. Yeah. No, How her, many pennies are in a shilling? I don't know. It's it's not. Pounds, shillings, and pence. I have to look it up. No. I don't remember. That was pre-decimalization. <laughs> yeah. Her husband is a musician. Their residence was given at his nun. At some places, it says it looks like they look... Uh, they did give a place that they lived, but it wasn't... It was just like, eh. Yeah. So, yeah, he uh, lived in the workhouse. Eventually, she, mom brought him back to the St. Pancras workhouse, mm-hmm. and he grew up there. It was in this orphanage that he learned sewing skills, mm-hmm. which would prove useful in creating the pearl button-covered costumes that he later That's made right. famous. Sewing skills are good. <clears throat> sewing skills are useful, Sorry man. you have to live in a workhouse to learn it. <laughs> right, but, you know. And it was the orphanage that sent him to the uh, St. Pancras Department of Roads and Sewers in 1868. And he got a job with the Borough Council as a road sweeper and rat catcher, which was his official occupation throughout his entire working life. Well. Nice. There were a lot of rats. (laughs) There were a lot of rats. (laughs) And uh, someone had to catch them. them. 
But in the course of his work in the council, he came across many costermongers. And I'm going to have a little costermonger sidebar in a moment. Costermonger, costermonger. Costermonger, costermongers. <laughs> they Follow us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so buy some fruit from us. Fruits and vegetables from us. We are costermongers. Which are uh, people who sell things from wheelbarrows on the streets. Mm. Fruits and vegetables often, but not necessarily. Oysters. Flowers. Oyster, cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh. Mm-hmm. Flowers trod in the mud. You, most of you might know costermongers from Pygmalion, <laughs> a.k.a. My Fair Lady. Yes. yes. So, yes. He uh, became fascinated by the outfits that they would wear. They would have a row of mother-of-pearl buttons sewn on their trouser seams, mm-hmm. or sometimes at the ankles or the knees, because uh, oysters and stuff were cheap yeah and plentiful i read something about how um working young working men used to complain about how often they got served salmon uh-huh. because there were salmon in the thames mm-hmm. and people are and they would just be like can we fucking have something else besides salmon there's <laughs> oh the same God. thing in the americas about lobster yes up in maine they're like fucking no more I'd lobster l- yeah. lobster again yeah 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 and, yeah and, the, and now it's like this is the fanciest food of them all yeah. and they're just like can you stop with the lobster <laughs> meanwhile it's like no it's sea bugs okay. it's sea bugs okay delicious yeah. sea bugs well that's yeah, why that's they true. say if, like you scrape hard enough in the english soil and find oyster shells it, you know it was a roman settlement because that's what they were eating too so yeah he liked those outfits and um i guess they just did it for like flash and fun just just for flash and fun yeah Mm -hmm. they did just to be like i got nothing else to do this shit's all over the place hey look at me i look cool i'm the orange guy with the outfit right i'm the guy with the outfit and they're like well i'm the guy with the better outfit Uh rivals rivals a 1904 newspaper article reported that, quote, pearl buttons always possessed a peculiar charm. And when Croft was a boy, he was never happy unless his coat boasted more pearls than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, in 1883, in near St. Pancras, there was a competition held with a silver watch oh, offered shit. to the flashiest youth within a 12-mile radius. Damn. Young some surveyors, like, walked that circle. <laughs> Young dandies came from every part of London, but the prize and the title of Pearly King went to Henry Croft. Wow. Right. And they were. So he was, it was not unusual for other people to have these, but he was the one who was like, we're taking it downtown. You know what? We're going to take this to the next level. Exactly. (laughs) Taking it downtown. (laughs) Henry was wearing a smother suit where the fabric is completely covered with pearl buttons rather than one of the more quote unquote restrained skeleton suits, which he also made. Right. He, uh, he is believed to have eventually created seven suits for himself as well as ones for others and things like caps and belts and i've been looking at this stuff all week and Mm. there's shoes he's like nudie yes he (laughs) is like nudie and the women's outfits too Uh like pumps that are covered in pearls and i saw horse blankets that are covered in pearls Mm. and the horse's harness and headdress is covered in pearl and it's mother of pearl buttons is what i mean it's not actual pearls not pearls but yeah but It's love, but it's very pretty and very distinctive uh-huh. looking. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yes, um, there's a photograph of him from 19- February 1902, and it says, The Pearly King of Summer's Town, and it's from the Strand Magazine, and the caption says, He has 4,900 buttons on his suit, 700 on cap, 
1500 on waistcoat, 1500 on trousers, 700 on belt, and 500 on straps, which is the wrists. Mm-hmm. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, he weighs like 400 pounds. He was not quite five feet tall. Right. Because oh my God. So he, he's like your height. He's my height. He probably weighs... 75 pounds less than I do right. and I'm not a large woman <laughs> no, but I didn't grow up in 1864 in houses in workhouse. England right. Right, in a workhouse Lisa, may I have some more? I know it's just your bone it was, density alone it's, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was 5 feet tall and 35 pounds <laughs> no kidding was it two stone mm-hmm. <laughs> god and he used to wear his pearly outfits so that when he would and, and he would put them on so he would stand out and then we'd go out and about to fates and carnivals and collect money for children in the orphanage where he had grown oh. up. Oh. And, then, and that's why he dressed up. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, look at me. Don't I look cool? I'm collecting for the St. Pancras mm-hmm. Orphanage. And they're like, look at you. Yeah. Your jacket is so cool. Blimey, governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I, that was terrible. But anyway. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's just how they talk. That is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His friends, it's not your fault. His friends had a custom of organizing like a, a whip round, which is a pass the hat collection mm-hmm. for anybody who. But had, like really fast. Right. <laughs> whip round. <laughs> Anybody had fallen on hard times, and then he, Henry asked the costermongers, he's like, since you guys collect money to help, why don't, will you help me collect more money for charity? And that is when the pearl, they started, instead of just being like, hey, I sell whelks and I've got a snazzy suit, then he's like, let's be a thing. Uh-huh. And they were like, okay. And so they started... Like making a pearly monarchy. Like I'm the head of this group, oh, but you're so the it's head like of Elks Club. But it is like the Elks Club. It's like Elks, but Welks. Oh, <laughs> nice Welks Club. That's good. That's Whoa. good. That's good. Yeah, and you're clapping like Lawrence Welk too, and that's really sorry. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, you may be asking yourself, what is a costermonger? And let me tell you, okay, mm-hmm. a costermonger, coster or costard, is a Person who sells fruit and vegetables out in a street open air market. What is the origin of the word coster? The term is derived from the word costard, which is a medieval kind of apple. Oh. Uh-huh. And the word monger, which means seller, like seller. fishmonger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, some whore people... Whoremonger. Exactly. Right. Some people use that word to say anybody who sells stuff in the street, but they are wrong. Mm-hmm. There is a hierarchy of course there is because we are in britain that's right and you have to know who is below you <laughs> at all uh, times even if you're a fucking rat catcher at least you're not the rat catcher's apprentice right. uh-huh. or like the night soil man wait that's shogun um, or, uh, no, there, was a night soil there was a night soil man that's the knocker upper knocker upper all of those things yeah it's important to know who you're above in british society mm-hmm. and who you're below and so who, you, you know. right can knuckle your forehead and all that stuff um, the hierarchy in the costermongers uh, is that the, they had hand carts or animal drawn carts. Okay. And hawkers had to carry their baskets around. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, gross buckets, I wrote. <laughs> Back broken. Uh-huh. Uh, the first known use of the term costermonger is uh, in an Alexander Barclay poem from 1518. Fifty eglog of Alexander Barclay of the citizen and Ipundishman. <laughs> uh, I love it. Oh, it just sings. 50, I, I love know. an English accent. And I, I tell love, you what. I love 15, 18 spellings. Right. 50 is spelled F-Y-F-T-E. 50. 50. And he says, I was acquainted with many a huckster and costard monger and hostler. 
So that was the first. I know a hostler is horses. Horses, exactly. I said, if you're thinking of Molly Malloy and her cockles and muscles, uh, also of Eliza Doolittle and her fine flowers trod in the mud, then you're pretty much correct. They became known for their sales patter, their bright clothes mm-hmm. to draw. You know, anybody who works out in a market, you yeah. got to be like, come on over here. I yeah. got the best fish or whatever. Yeah. That's get- why I was terribly at, at sales. Because <laughs> you're like, do you want it? I mean, it? it was the mall, you know, right. but still, I was like, do you want it? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you didn't have a wrap. It's because I my did name, not have a wrap. My name is Erin, and I'm here to say I'm selling Clinique in, in a major, major way. Aw, <laughs> thanks, honey. Aw, that would have totally worked. It would. It would have. A lot of times I was just stoned. Also, also I gave my best makeovers whenever I was stoned. I like to smoke weed and forget what I'm doing. Hey. Smoking weed makes me feel fine. Oh. Uh, okay, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, the costume mongers uh, were there. They would talk, chant, rap. Attack, attract attention. <laughs> they um, they would dress in a certain way, and they would wear big neckerchiefs that were known as kingsmen. So they would tie the uh, big neckerchief around their neck, and that's one of the ways. Uh, Before everybody got all pearly, uh-huh. this was how you recognize, like, oh, you're a costume monger, and I'm new, new, new. Okay. Because once again, you need to identify your fellow class members and so you know can where you are. Defer to or shit on them. <laughs> Correct. Amundo. Yeah. Thank God for hierarchies. You're really, you're really doing really good, you guys. Uh, Tell us more about your Osama bin Laden money, Prince Charles. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> so, there are a lot of bin Ladens. A lot of <laughs> it's bin a big Ladens. Family. Big family. It's Very a big, big family. family. So, okay. During the 19th century, costermongers gained an unsavory reputation. What? For their low habits, general improvidence, love of gambling, total want of education. Dis- Whose fault is that? No Disregard shit. for lawful marriage ceremonies <laughs> and their use of a peculiar slang language. <gasps> How very dare holes. they. Yes. We have subjugated these people, and as it turns out, they, they are, have bad manners. Well, they're refusing to be crushed. <laughs> right. They continue to enjoy their lives and make, make up- their own money. <laughs> How dare they? They've come up with a wacky way to make fun of us that we can't quite figure out. Assholes. <laughs> Some people have said did they they made it up so that they could just be different, but many people say like no, they made this up so that the cops couldn't listen to them and to like I don't know a rival gangs. Yeah, if you're like nipping up the apples and pears, probably Lord was it Lord Top and Middle Top and Middle Bottom doesn't know what you're talking about. Top and Middle Bottom, yes, yeah. But he did notice that they are. Far less dishonest than they're usually believed to be. Oh, that's oh. So, yeah. to be clear, we are talking about Cockney rhyming slang. Yes, we are talking about Cockney rhyming slang okay. and also backward slang like yob for boy uh-huh. and stuff like that. But mostly Cockney rhyming slang. Mm-hmm. They came up with that and that was part of their street patter. Yeah. And these are the costermongers, right? Um, and Bethnal Green, which oh, is... Oh, Bethnal Green. Yeah, that's where the craze were from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were hostilities between authorities and costermongers reached a crescendo in no, the 1870s. That's polite. Yeah, a crescendo of ass Shooting into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yes. God. Um, yeah, the police would try to bust down on them. They would. They insist that coffee stalls close at seven thirty in the morning. What? Right. Like, what well, coffee fuck? just angers up the blood. Right. They irritate. Yeah, you don't want anybody waking up in the mornings. Uh-huh. Like, well, only the aristocrats get to right. drink coffee, oh. and they have it in their house. They if if you have to go out and buy it in the street, then no. Then but if, something's wrong with something's you. Something's wrong with you. I fucking hate you, England. <laughs> That's right. They're going to go over and form the Ulster Unionists in a minute, Brian. Watch out. Oh no, wait. Yeah. Part. 
<laughs> the costermongers, like I said, they had their own culture, which was very competitive. Like lots of rivalries among this family and that family, Welk sellers and shit like that. But they would definitely band together. Well, no shit. Yeah, it's like I hate you and you hate me, but but we hate them but together. We hate them yep. way more. Yeah. Even common street thieves preferred to prey on shop owners rather than costers who were inclined to dispense street justice. That's right. It's like, I can't rob him. He doesn't have any money. Right. Also, Also, he'll kick my ass. He will beat me. And my mom won't be able to buy his whelks anymore. Right. We got no more whelks. Yeah. The costermonger's ordinary costume... Ordinary costume partakes of the durability of the warehouseman's uh-huh. with the quaintness of that of a stable boy. Oh. A well-to-do coster, when dressed for the day's work, usually wears a small cloth cap a little to one side. Obs. A close-fitting worsted tie-up skull cap, very fashionable just now. So two hats? And uh, <laughs> well, Either one. You can have the, the oh, black okay. cap or like, the, uh, like a deer stalkery looking uh-huh. one. Hats they never wear. These are caps. caps. Hats they no. never wear, except Too on formal. Sunday. And on account of baskets frequently being carried on their heads. So you need a flat cap so you can put your cockles and muscles on there. Their waistcoats are a broad-ribbed corduroy as long as a groom's, buttoned up nearly to the throat. The corduroy is of a light sandy color or plain brass sporting buttons Mm -hmm. with a stag or a fox head or black bone buttons. Two large pockets, or sometimes four, with big flaps, like in a shooting coat, uh-huh. and then uh, big neckerchiefs and boots. Are these pockets on the waistcoat? These or pockets are on the... They're calling the- this the waistcoat, but it means long coat. Long coat, okay. Yeah. This is a long, tight coat okay. with big pockets. Yeah. Uh, men, women, boys, and girls all have a passion for the neckerchiefs. Obviously. The co- and the costermonger's <laughs> love of a good, strong boot is a singular <laughs> prejudice that runs through the whole class. <laughs> for I kicking mean, your ass and standing all day. Standing all day and keeping your feet Walking warm. on your fucking cobblestones. <laughs> no kidding. Mud. Let me tell you, I spent a whole day walking on I'm just like, my legs, my shins are so sore. I'm wearing good shoes. <laughs> exactly. So, yes, and they were especially fond of mother-of-pearl buttons. And uh, a man named James Greenwood, who wrote about them, described as one, anyone, however, who knew the significance of the extraordinary number of Mother O'Pearl buttons that adorned the waistcoat (laughs) and jacket, fustian jacket of the gentleman, would have been at once aware that he was somebody of consequence in costerdom. The pearl (laughs) button with him is a symbol of position and standing, and the number of glistening rows, Mm -hmm. rather than ornament or use, show his importance and amongst his class so that he may be measured. Well, it shows that you... You have enough, you work hard enough to have leisure time mm-hmm. to do this. I have extra money and leisure time. Mm-hmm. I have decorated this for no practical purpose. Mm-mm. It just And I nice. wear it so I can go out and spend my money and during nice. my leisure time. Right. Infuriating. But, but, huh? how, how can we crush this? Dare you. <laughs> how dare Assholes. You. And yes, costume mongers also developed their own linguistic forms. In the 1800s, they spoke backslang, where you said things backwards. Yob for boy, exlot for police, yabo, elbot for table, yenep for penny. Backslang was used as a secret language. And then they uh, eventually uh, developed rhyming, cockney rhyming slang, Mm -hmm. where any word can be substituted with another word that rhymes with it. Like tin lids for kids, Jimmy Grant for immigrant. Apples and pears for stairs, a rubbity dub for a pub, and trouble and strife for the wife. (laughs) 
Selections of rhyming words often suggested a symbolic association, like sorrowful tale means three months in jail. <laughs> Trouble and strife. <laughs> Trouble and strife means wife. Uh-huh. Uh, hop down the frog and toad, that's the road. And again, it's a, they said that it was uh, kept people from being able to listen in and understand what they were saying. Quickly. Quickly. <laughs> yes. So that is costume. In indecipherable low-class right. accents. And also, remember, we're leaving out many key consonants as we speak. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so. Uh, so it is the costermongers who kind of are the origin of the pearlies, but it's Henry who brought it all together and made it more organized. The Manchester Guardian wrote of him in 1934. For over 40 years, he went about the streets, in and out of taverns, threading his way amongst theater queues and collected money for charities. Twice he was presented to royalty, and on his own estimate and collection boxes, yielded up to charity over those years the handsome sum of 4,000 pounds, which in 1934 would be 250,000 pounds. That's not Nothing an insignificant amount of money. Yeah. It's just workhouse at the time right and especially if you're collecting it like half a crown at a time Mm -hmm. yeah has anybody got any extra and you collect four thousand pounds that's a lot he was awarded a medal for the from the lord mayor of london for raising 72 pounds four thousand pounds today for victims of the thames flood in 1928 He married. He got married in 1892, and his wife, Lily Newton, turned the press after he died. He was given a ribbon for every collection he made, and we have 2,000 of them. Oh, wow. Yes, he had... Oh, man. I can't... I thought I wrote it down, but he did some collection of something called, like, the Horse of the Year show. <laughs> and I liked that. I was like, I don't even the Horse of the Year show. I was like, does it... Is it just, like, bring your horse? Oh, uh, yeah, no. So the it's person, a talent competition. It's, it's like the ugliest dog. I know, yeah. right? Personality. Personality plus. So the pearly kings and queens started to become more visible. There are, there was one at, it, there's a pearly court for every single borough. The costermongers, a lot of whom had donkeys. Right. And I have a picture from Covent Garden Market that I took oh, the other day. Oh, donkeys? Oh, it's a, no, it's a plaque about the costermonger donkey society, oh, society of Covent Garden. Awesome. I will, we'll can post that in our stuff. <laughs> wow. Donkey society. I like society. To live in a country that has like a collective history. <laughs> I don't even know. There was also a uh, plaque that I took a picture of in Covent Garden about how since, you know, 17 decade four, the worshipful company of fruiterers has worked upon this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Fruiterer. Fruiterer. Fruiterian. Fruiterian. Uh, on the, the outfit that he wore to the Coster's Donkey Show at Crystal Palace in 1910 Shit. was said to have 20,000 buttons on it. Oh my God. Yes. And in 1924, the Times reported that at a fundraising carnival, St. Dunstan's Institute for the Blind, uh, it was attended by the pearly kings of Holloway, Hornsey, Poplar, Summerstown, Islington, and West London, and a man named Brother Croft, who had been given the title Pearly King of the World. Oh, my. Well, um, <clears throat> but your pearly- suit has to be made out of, like, actual sailcloth at this it's point. It's corduroy. <laughs> <laughs> which I, it's like corduroy, corduroy, which I think is, like, quadroy, which, like, means king's fabric. Yeah. And has been bastardized into corduroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> corduroy. Quadroy. <laughs> Brian was in a creative writing class one time, and somebody mentioned in their story a quadroy. <laughs> Someone's Dude. quarter Roy pants. Oh, blast. Quarter hyphen Roy. I, you only ever heard that word said out loud. Friend, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> know, right? You need to read more. You need to this, read more. Well, maybe the, the book Quarter Roy. <laughs> the bear. Bears 
<laughs> this this story also contained the line, "You may think that that is the worst thing that can happen, but you are wrong." <laughs> Directly addressing the reader <laughs> and informing the reader that they are wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. This is the like show don't tell <laughs> early '90s equivalent of looking into the camera like you're on the office. That's right. <laughs> yeah, only you're looking out of a book. <laughs> Okay, let's see. In July 1926, Henry instructed the Daily Express to say that I am the only original pearly king in London. Well, hey, I no. am the father, I am the pearly king, father of pearly Prince Arthur, pearly Princess Elizabeth of the world. And they were like, whoa, is, whoa, whoa. Is he dude. going pearly mad with power? He's going pearly mad with power, but he earned it, okay? He did. He did you raise 220,000 pounds for the workhouse, Brian? But just, I'm just saying, over a lifetime. I mean, like, there, you know, there might be other pearly kings out there. Well, do you, know. you have a. Overcoat that weighs 50 pounds and has more than 30,000 buttons on it? I do, but for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of them says, Union, yes! <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Although newspaper reports said that he had always been a teetotaler and non-smoker, Henry died of lung cancer on January 1st, 1930. <laughs> because he lived in London. Yeah, he lived seriously, in London, dude. And it's not hard to get lung cancer back then. <laughs> I know. I mean, the hell, Bakers like, regularly we, got lung cancer. Right. We were there in 2002 and my boogers turned black my, inside of a week. My boogers turned black. You ride the subway for a little while and it's then amazing. you're sneezing black. It's amazing. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's horrifying. <laughs> He was survived by his wife and 11 of their 12 children. Their oldest son had been killed in World War One. Yes. I watched... That's a... Th- listen, that's a good number. That, yeah. Th- yeah. The, the, so, the, until the one was killed in World, World War, War One, which you is had, very sad. All 12... All your children have survived. I know. That's a lot. <laughs> I watched his funeral... There is a Pathé newsreel of oh, his yeah. funeral. And oh, yeah. Oh, oh my wow. God. I bet. 500 kings and queens oh. in full pearly livery are marching down the 1930 London streets with fucking bobbies. Yeah. And, like, people who are clearly irritated and trying to get to work. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking pearly fucking funeral trying God to cross damn the street. It. Is his wagon going backwards with his boots in it? It should be. Like, one boot, curly boot backwards. <laughs> but, no... Like, there's the horse-drawn hearse, Mm -hmm. and then behind it are horse-drawn carriages, like, pearly kings and queens and their little horse-drawn carriages. With all of their donkey blankets. Right. They're full-on. The horses are regaled. They are regaliaed. The carriages are regaliaed. The people walking alongside are regaliaed. Mm -hmm. Full, pearly, next. Commitment. (laughs) Full, pearly, commitment. If you go to YouTube and you Google... Pearly King Funeral Newsreel. Mm-hmm. It'll pop up and you can watch it. It's like two minutes long. Right. It has no sound, but it's very interesting to yeah. see. Um, <clears throat> uh, yes, his coffin was being carried in a procession. It was covered in pearls. Down uh, your, uh, by Euston Station in a horse drawn by a hearse drawn by four black horses with purple cloths. Uh, the singer Ian Drury. Yes. Yeah. Uh, requested the same hearse for his funeral. Oh my god! And in April 2000, that exact same hearse carried him to his wow, wow place. I'm glad that it still exists. Only in London, right? Right. Oh, like, well, no, that's, I, a, that's I, over here. I got it. He's <laughs> like, oh yeah, we got to clean it up a little bit, but right, yeah, it's here. No, it's here. Wait, I don't have it, but I know who. Does. I know who does exactly. I loaned it to Ralph uh, in 1988. <laughs> it was a different right. pearly yeah. king funeral. There are four pearly kings that acted as pallbearers. His coffin was topped with his 
pearl-covered top hat on a black cushion Mm -hmm. that was pinned with all of the medals that he had ever been awarded. That's so sweet. There is a statue of him. They made a statue of him in marble Mm -hmm. with pearliness. I was going to say, there better be actual pearliness involved. On his tomb. Uh, But it kept getting messed with, so they moved the whole pearly tomb statue to the crypt of the Church of St. Martin in the fields, and I fucking screamed aloud in frustration when I went there last Tuesday to take a picture of it, and the church was closed for a private function. God damn it. So I will post a random photo, rather the one that I would take, of the pearly tomb. Shit. But it is, uh, yeah. God and damn you, private citizens. I, I, I get married. This is, look, it's St. Martin in the fields. You can get married over there, but I need to come in and take my I picture. know, right? I'm an American. I'm only here for a few days. There's a Why literal field right over there. Yes. You can still, they are still active in raising money for charity to this day. Oh, yeah. Every borough in London has a pearly king, queen, and a court. Oh, you, and I bet there is savagery well <laughs> there's really not because you can join it but you cannot become pearly royalty unless like Charles and Camilla you're fucking born into it oh really? your mother has to be the pearly queen for you to be the pearly princess you can only you can't oh, even damn so it's not even like no like I raise the most money or we vote <laughs> no no it's not a democracy it's not, it's a, not democracy. a pearly democracy it's a pearly monarchy for real <laughs> you can be it is a family tradition passed through the generations you can marry if you marry the pearly prince you can be like I don't know the pearly prince consort or something <laughs> <like that. laughs> you, you can't actually be the princess no but you can be like you, the pearly duchess but your kids will be oh that's pearly good. kings and queens so it's not a morgantic uh, <laughs> right. situation no Have, has there been a pearly king who ever had to like abdicate his throne in Maybe? order to marry a non-pearly Maybe. Now I want to know, like, who's the first pearly king who's like, I have another pearly king that I marry? Yeah. Would be like, that's yeah, fine, yeah. that's right. Two like, pearly excuse me, kings. Let's check his records. Let's Checks out. Checks out. We're going to adopt some pearly kings. Oh my god! And then, like, would those two pearly territories be like united? Oh, oh man. man. Um, you can't. Uh, however, it says we do allow people to become pearly prides okay. if a close family friend or if you just like are into it are into it and you are <laughs> fucking burning to be a pearly you can join the organization you can have an outfit you can raise money for charity but you can never you can be royalty in. if you are good enough right and dedicated enough and make friends enough you can be a pearly pride and they will allow you for your lifetime to borrow a title that is not in use well that's wow. good so you I mean that's really good because yeah, like I'm the pearly duchess of you know, right. Top and middle bottom. Yeah, yeah. Hammersmith because nobody is currently the pearly duchess and well, I love it so much. Like, you you can't keep it. You can't pass it on, but you can, if they allow you, you can be that for your In life. an organization like that, it's not good to shut people out. Yes. <laughs> if somebody's yeah. like, I really fucking want to be this. And and ultimately it's a charitable organization. Right. So if you're like, I yeah. want, I want to be the lion's club member that raises the most you can't be like mm, yeah, your dad sorry. wasn't a lion yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you don't want to do that 
So, yes, if they have titles that aren't being used, they will loan them to you. That's awesome. For the duration of your life. And you can wear a suit and you can raise money for charity and march in parades. And you can, uh, you know where we saw pearly queens when we watched the opening ceremonies of the London Olympics? That's right. They were walking around. Oh. I'm not forgetting that whole story on EastEnders about. Yes, okay. Yeah. Jean. Jean. <laughs> Jean. And there was pearly thing. And, the, and the, but there was a thing about like a, maybe it was a sympathy vote. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that because I'd forgotten that. And I'm like, veracity of pearly queens on East Ender storylines. And they're like, <laughs> legit. Okay. I'm serious. Uh, uh, there were pearly consultants on set. I would day. not be surprised if in East Enders that we had a fucking actual pearly consultant. <laughs> Welcome to East Enders Factcheck.com. Uh, Walford, which is a fake. London borough. Yeah. Be like, I'm the pearly queen of Walford. See? <laughs> not actually I think Walford. that's what she was going for. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. My favorite story about Walford is um, when uh, Cat Moon, who I, whose real name I can't remember, uh-huh. talked about getting the job there. I she was, was about to She was like, she was oh, on, this is great. There's just a tube station like right, right there. there. Like, it's it's That's fake. the set. Okay. She's, she's like, God damn it. <laughs> I can just ride the tube like right She told that story on Nevermind the Bus Cops, which is yes. like, one of the fucking best British TV shows, quiz shows ever. She was my favorite character. She was like, you're not my mother. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> So that is the pearly kings and queens of London. That's awesome. Their origins and continuations to this day and a brief history of the Costermongers. And Cockney rhyming rhyming slang, which uh, I went online. There are several like... English to like you can type stuff in and it'll translate it into rhyming slang. I wonder how much of that's bullshit. Like real, Some of it real seemed, people would be like, "No, it's not." Well, I'll tell you. One of them it was just like, "This is bullshit." But one of them had like ver- verified, verified, and you could vote. And so it was like, "Here's our Cockney consultants," and there was one that would translate whatever you wanted into like, uh, like uh, what they called it, like a. Uh, Incomprehensible Scottish. Jordy. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Cockney rhyming slang. There were like three or four things. So. Well, I think it's also interesting that the the costermongers as a group, well, basically sort of a disenfranchised community yes. who needed to come up with a language to avoid the cops mm-hmm. it's not surprising that polari then yes. became it's this is the gay the, language right. that we come up with to avoid the, the right cops. the polari the gay language that we come up with to avoid the cops which is well it's not rhyming slang it's it's, it's very similar in uh-huh. like uh-huh yeah so uh vada look vada she's a tart a tart and gilded clobber mm-hmm. i remember that from well the, the bona bona drag bona is, drag is yeah nice clothes and there's a there's a place not far away from the house called bona vision <laughs> and i'm like that's, that's right. where you get your eyeglasses and polari like, that's right you're like elton john looking exactly bona frames, bona frames. darling <laughs> but yes well, that was fun. Fun. that's Yay. my little london moment and i i know i'm obnoxious about it but i really do like london so no it's really cool it's a good place it is a good place all right, so what are we going to do i gotta go out and sell some welks baby my kids are hungry <laughs> jesus uh. christ well i've got a wheelbarrow full of pearly buttons that okay um well the children are three now so it's time for them to get a job yeah <laughs> they should true. start sewing stuff. that's true bingo all right kids let's go get a move on
in the city, back of my neck, getting dirty and gritty. Amanda, okay, what? Amanda, cut sight. Huh? <sighs> Look, take off your pearly kini and quit walking down the middle of the street, okay? Look, it we is li- a hot town summer in the city. We live in a neighborhood, okay? We live in a society. People are giving me money for my pearly kini. <laughs> I am the cl- wrong kind of. Are you donating it to charity? I'm giving it to the poor. Okay, <laughs> it's just you. Okay, that's a poor Miss Manda needs some money. Okay, <laughs> okay, get in here. Get in here. <laughs> Fine. The back of my neck is dirty and gritty. That's true. It is hot. That's yeah, true. that's true. Amanda. Yeah. Do you like Ireland? Yes. Do you like crown jewels? Oh, I do like crown jewels. Do you like secret gay shit? Oh, I love nothing more than secret gay shit. Oh, it's happening. Today, I am talking about the theft of the crown jewels of Ireland. (gasps) (laughs) By the faggot known as... Yes. <laughs> Arthur Vickers. We'll yes. get to it. We'll All get right, to I'm it. I'm ready. ready, ready. Uh, I'm ready but ready. wait, you say Ireland hasn't had a king since 1198. I was going to say. Rory Conchogar was deposed. That's literally exactly what I was about to say. Rory Conchogar. Rory. Remember Louis Thomas? I was here for the Conchogar era, okay? No, seriously, I did like a pronunciation on how to pronounce Conchobar, and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tried to write it phonetically, and, and no. no. On the Archers recently, uh, Tom and Natasha had twin girls, mm-hmm. and Natasha is Welsh, and so there's been lots of Welsh speaking on the Archers. Nice, that's cool. nice. So anyway. Okay, yeah. Um, you're right. I am right. Gay shit is awesome. Well, real Contrabar was deposed in 1198, but Ireland was crowned adjacent for hundreds of years, many of those spent under occupation. Oh, is it a crown adjacent meant they had to live next door to the people with the crown that were stomping on? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, these jewels are specifically known as the jewels belonging to the most illustrious order of St. Patrick. Ooh. And here's how they uh, were described when they were stolen. Okay. A diamond star of the Grand Master of the Order of St. Patrick, composed of brilliance of the purest water, mm-hmm. four by five eighths by four and one fourth inches, consisting of eight points. Yes, a brilliant, I know, is a cut of Yes, diamond. a brilliant is, is a cut. Right. They're, they're Brazilian diamonds. Okay. Um, Brazilian. Brazilian. <laughs> Brazilians. For greater and... That means they have, like, thongs on. <laughs> right. They have, they have great asses, like all of them. No hair. None. So, for greater and for lesser hairless issuing... Diamonds. I only like hairless diamonds. He's <laughs> always brought me luck. <laughs> Liz Taylor, hairless. <laughs> That's all for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, this, is, this has been Chocolate Diamonds, Chocolate Diamonds. Oh, oh. Ch- chocolate, chocolate Diamonds. diamonds. Like, those are brown diamonds. I went, I'm, this like, is one step up from the kind they use on drill bits. No, that I, is the ones they use on drill bits. Straight up the ones they use on drill bits. That is straight up the ones they use on drill bits. <laughs> when when clarity is you know one of the case, right. you don't want a brown one. <laughs> I guess you're right. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, like, yeah. no, for real. diamonds would be preferable. Hilarious. Honestly. <laughs> At least you'd have something to talk about. That's right. Uh, so, um, <laughs> consi- a, a, a star consisting of eight points, which I heard it described as the size. It was the size of a palm of a like regular sized man's hand. Okay. So. Uh, for greater and for lesser, issuing from a center, enclosing a cross of rubies, which is a cross and X mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. rubies, and a trefoil of emeralds surrounding a sky blue enamel 
circled with the words ki separabit uh, Roman numerals. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 1783. Okay. That was uh, in rose diamonds and it, it was also engraved in the back. And the value was uh, 14,000 pounds, which is the equivalent the 14,907 pounds. Okay. With the equivalent to 1,580,000 pounds. That's that's a lot, but less than you'd think for some like crown jewels. Well, it's they are brown. I can't know. No, they're not brown. So <laughs> they're it's just hairy. So that that was the one. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then there was also a diamond badge of the grand Mar- mm-hmm. Master of the Order of St. Patrick, which was set in silver, containing a trefoil and emeralds and a ruby, ruby cross surrounded by a sky blue enamel with the same uh, key supper bit yeah, yeah. in rose diamonds surrounded by a wreath of trefoils and emeralds. And the whole thing was encl- enclosed by a circle of a large single Brazilian stones of the finest water surmounted by a crowned harp in diamonds and a loop. Okay. And so one was like a star badge that was also a pendant. Yeah. And then the other one had the, you know, crowned harp and diamonds. And then it had like a little sort of like dangly. Like dangly bit. Okay. Dangly yeah. bit. So they're crown jewels, but they're not on a crown. You would like pin them to your... No, they're crowned as we will find out. Hang on. Okay, sorry. Okay. So... Um, that one, the total size of the oval was three by two and three eight inches and five and five eighths inches. And the value was 16,1907 pounds, which is the equivalent of 1,800,000 pounds. Okay. There were also the collars of five knights of the order, which were stolen at the same time. And those are like the gigantic gold necklaces that kings and knights are always wearing. Yeah. It's just like like a flat neck, like a Cleopatra. Like it's just like a huge thing. And they're called crown jewels because they contain 394 precious stones taken from the English crown jewels of Queen Charlotte, wife of George III. Okay. I think he tossed in some of his own diamonds as well. They were created in 1831 for the sovereign and grand master of the Order of St. Patrick, an order of knighthood established in 1783 by King George III okay. as King of Ireland. Yes, yes. To be an Irish equivalent of the English Order of the Garter okay. and the Scottish Order of the Thistle. Gotcha. So, it's so that- are these like the kings who are subjugated? <laughs> Basically, or, or no, this is. I mean, at the time, eighteen thirty-one, Ireland was still England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not I even see. like Northern it Ireland. Wasn't even Northern Ireland. It, it was, was just, just like, right. Ireland How many was. Countries are in this country, right? Right. And so George the Third, as King of Ireland, created this Order of Knighthood, the Order of Saint Patrick, right? That could be given to a subject. That could be given to a subject who was super loyal. To I the wonder, king. If Team Faith and Family, is there like an Order of the Leak? That goes in Wales? I doubt it. Oh, man. Well, Canute was a long time ago. That's true. So the jewels were worn by the Grand Master of the Order, who was the Viceroy, which means that he was the representative of British power in England. And so if we are... (laughs) I know, right? So, like, if somebody's being inducted... Because we're all familiar with the Order of the Garter. Correct. And the queen, and it's it's like a it's a great knighthood order mm-hmm. of the garter, and there's only like fucking like eighty three of them, mm-hmm. and then you're the order of a garter. Well, this is the order of Saint Patrick, which is like the highest sort of knighthood bestowed in Ireland from Ireland, etc. Yes, the, yes. the best quizzling on the block. Then. Correct. 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 There you go. Correct. Correct. There you go. So, oftentimes, it was the king 
mm-hmm. who was wearing these jewels, but not always. Okay. Most importantly, <laughs> it, like this is the gr- award for the greatest one. I'll wear them myself. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> most importantly, y'all's. Out of all of this, it was a pro-unionist group and support of the Crown and its policies was a prerequisite for membership. Okay. So, put a pin on that. Uh, So, that is the loot. And who stole it and where did it go? Excellent. (laughs) Let's start with the keeper of the loot, the Ulster King of Arms. What is the King of Arms? Ryan's making a face. A fucked up monarchy office dealing with heraldry, genealogy, and official jewel guarding. Official jewel guarding. Because there's nothing more heterosexual than official jewels <laughs> and official jewel guarding. I'm glad you're picking up on Just these saying. things. Right hard. Right, 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 right there. Right, right. Also genealogy and heraldry. Right. Uh, today, the position is held by a man I named... I heraldry and jewelry. It's like, I know him. Okay. Robert Jean-Baptiste Noel. But from 1893 to 19... 19- 1908, it was held by a man named Arthur Vickers. Okay. Arthur was from Leamington Spa. I have been there. <laughs> Me, Jenny, and Denise. <laughs> nice. Our train, we were taking the train to uh, Stratford-on-Avon, and we had like an hour layover, and we went to the Museum of Leamington Spa is right near the train station, and we went there. Nice. That's so, good. That's a good way to kill time. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So, um... <laughs> Arthur, but he had, he was from Leamington Spa, but he had half brothers in Ireland Mm. and they were extremely close. And he Mm. moved to Ireland after he graduated from Oxford. And there, Arthur developed an interest in genealogy and heraldry. And I don't want to stereotype anybody, (laughs) but those are queer coded interests. Right. Just like vexillology and like being really into trains. It's just it's like there is gay shit in this and it's only going to get gayer. (laughs) But if like he's like I'm. But like trains are like old man coded. I was going to (laughs) say. Trains are old man coded but it's that sort of. I'm the expert on genealogy and heraldry. No that's definite gay shit. Yeah exactly. I think that's one of the Skeksis isn't it? He's like the master of robes and the master of See, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. somebody's got to be. A- yeah, that's right. There you go. So Arthur campaigned for close baby. to ten years, long and hard, to get the Ulster King of Arms job, even offering to work for free. <laughs> Eventually, he would get the job. Obviously, I will do this pr- job for nothing. But Jobs prior that we called below. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> But prior to that, in 1891, he was one of the founding members of the County Kildare Archaeological Society mm-hmm. and remained its honorary secretary until his death. In 1892, he applied for the position of Athlone Pursuivant. Oh, pursu- which sniffer pursuivant? It's one of my favorite episodes of Blackadder the First. <laughs> Dude, there is pursuivance all in this thing. Sniffer pursuivant. Lousy with pursuivance. <laughs> Lousy with pursuivance. <laughs> just splattered all over the place. Yes, the Athlone bl- pursuivant, which is a junior officer of arms. He did not get the job. He applied for that one in Ireland. He mm-hmm. didn't get the job. In all. October of that same year, 1892, Arthur's half-brother wrote him a letter saying that the current king of arms, Sir Bernard Burke, creator of Burke's Peerage... Oh, I was going to say, Burke's Peerage. ...was dying and urging Arthur, you should move at once. (laughs) He did because he was an opportunistic bitch, and he was... Persuaded! He was appointed... um, As lone persuivant on... uh, No, 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 he was... Shit, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm I know. Just... 
he was trying to figure out how to work this into my moniker from now on. He was persuaded. He was appointed the Elser King of Arms on February second, eighteen ninety three. Mm. Uh, this was a plush gig. The position was well respected. He got paid a lot, and all of his dreams came true. Arthur well, was finally in charge of the rules and regulations of heraldry and family trees. And this sounds dorky. No. But it was actually an extremely powerful position say, yeah. as that he was the arbiter of inheritance. Yes. Oh. William Durham, wow. who was a curator at Dublin Castle, said, most land, power, and wealth were vested in the hands of the aristocracy, and the question of who was the legitimate heir to an estate and a title carried with it the question of who would inherit the money and who would inherit the seat in Parliament. Uh-huh. And when that was in question, people went to the King of Arms mm-hmm. to sort that shit out. And right. so it was, was 23 and me of his death. He was. <laughs> and, it, it, and it's extremely, like, nitpicky. Yes. Yes. Once removed. Once removed. <laughs> yet super powerful. Yes. I'll get back, you know, shit. I'll get like, back to you. You can shade it. You mm-hmm. can be like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. This is like peak power fag. Yes. Yeah. Is, we are at peak right. power fag. Peak power fag. Like, like a maitre d' at the finest. Like, mm, I'm sorry. I don't see your name in the Right. Book. So in 1896, <laughs> Arthur Vickers was knighted. In 1900, he was appointed commander of the Royal Victorian Order, which is another fucking knighthood right, thing. Yeah, uh-huh. In 1903, he was elevated to knight commander of the order, which is like even more fucking <laughs> gay shit. You create intricate rituals to touch the skin of other men. That's right. He was also a fellow of the Society of Antiquarians and a trustee of the National Library of Ireland, which is, I said here, your basic officious library queen who doesn't want anybody in his library. Uh, anybody's library, exactly. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, Vickers had a distinguished run at the job. I mean, he like wanted it. I bet he did and fucking did it, it. Uh-huh. until yeah. June sixth, nineteen oh seven, when Uh-oh. things went to shit. Grandma Clay was born. Oh. <laughs> she was born on June sixth. 1919. Okay, almost. Right. <laughs> she stormed the beaches at Van Buren. She fucking did. <laughs> out of her mom. <laughs> he did. Cow. He came right out, sat up, up, and said, get out of my kitchen. That get was, artillery. Get shuffle. out of my fucking way. <laughs> Moment after birth. Anyway, go ahead. Well, it can't be said that the road to shit started when... Um, <laughs> That's my favorite John Irving novel. <laughs> oh, fucking John Irving. I read so much of that shit. Um, that it started when... The his offices, the offices of the Ulster King of Arms, which were located within like sort of the Dublin Castle uh-huh. um, campus, right, <laughs> uh, were moved from the Birmingham Tower to the Bedford Tower, which is the nicer uh, right. of the two towers. I don't, I don't want to be in the Bedford. Mm-hmm. You do want to be in the Bedford, Bedford Tower, not the Birmingham Tower. Guarding the crown jewels was actually an incidental part of the job, and Vickers was, like, not really fucking into it because he was here for, like, your genealogy and your heraldry. And power wielding. And power wielding and guarding these fucking jewels. Fine. Fine. Yes, I do have the keys to the fucking jewels, but, like, whatever. But Vickers wanted the jewels to be part of his office collection of rare books and antique silver. Uh. <laughs> Up until that point, the jewels were kept in a locked safe at the jewelers in Dublin. And whenever, and they were sent over to Dublin castle for official business. Uh-huh. But oh, then like, they, they're locked over here. If you need them, let me know. They're locked over here in the jeweler's safe. That right. seem, seems like a, I, a safe place for you're them. You're right. But right there in the name safe. No, right. <laughs> 
But you know, it, things get named things for a reason. Vickers had the jewels moved over to Bedford Tower, like because he he wanted because he wanted to. Um, power and, mad fat. Uh-huh. He had him moved over, and like they, the jewels would live in a safe contained within a newly constructed strong room because there were other like fancy shit. Right, right. It was, like those jewels were at the jewelers. The, but there's other, I mean, there's like, gold collars. There's, there's gold charters. Collars. There's, <laughs> right, there's gold <laughs> principal spoons. Covered book, impressed book, right. illuminated manuscripts and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, principal spoons, baby. Principal spoons. And so, <laughs> Um, but Bedford was like, I mean, excuse me, Vickers was like, I want them over here. And they would live in a safe contained within a newly constructed strong room. There were only two keys to the safe. And Vickers <laughs> wore one on a chain around his neck and the other he hid in his home in Dublin. Uh-huh. And he had them carved best and friends. Right. <laughs> oh, Unfortunately, this brand new safe was too big to get to the door through the doors of the strong room. Oh my god! In or out? It was like in. constructed outside, and they couldn't. They get had it the in. safe. Okay, but they couldn't get it in. No, no. Wait, let me take it back. The strong room was there, and uh-huh. the, they built a safe for these jewels, jewels that are like coming over here. Right, so, right, like, right. we need to build a really fucking tight safe, mm-hmm. too big to fit through the door. Okay. Furious that the workmen had fucked things up and tired of disruptions, Vickers put the safe in the library, which was a high traffic area that also served as the waiting room. Uh, <clears throat> that's not going to go And well Vickers at all. never got around to getting a smaller safe, even though. Oh, for Christ's sake. He updated the Order of, of St. Patrick's statutes. Mm-hmm. To say that the jewels, quote, shall be deposited for safekeeping in a steel safe in the strong room in the chancery of the order in the office of the arms of Dublin. So he like rewrote all the so fucking it rules. had to be. So it had to be there. And they were like, it can't fit through the door. And he's like, just put it in the fucking put it waiting in my room. Box. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. But just put, the the, thing- put that anywhere. <laughs> right. But the front desk. Beverly will take care yeah, of it. That's right. No one with it. <laughs> Everything was Mabel. cool because Bedford Tower was also the home of the Dublin Metropolitan Police. And it was considered the most impregnable, heavily guarded place in Ireland. And like cops and soldiers were everywhere. He's around. So he's like, well, what could possibly happen? All kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, here we go. Let's pause for a moment and talk about those updated statutes. Okay. These officially took place on July 29th, 1905. And in them, Vickers now appointed... Uh, appointed himself uh, the job for life, assuming he was on good behavior. And these statutes also revived odd jobs that had lapsed, namely various heralds and junior pursuivants. Pursuivants junior. Junior. And as it so happened, Vickers had the perfect dudes to fill these jobs. Were they two guys who helped his office doing helped in his office doing unpaid internships? But bending over and showing his like tight trousers. Close. Gotcha. We're getting there. Hang on. The first of these guys louder. (laughs) The first of these first of these guys is Pierce Gunn Mahoney, who is Vickers' nephew. His his like half brother's son. Like gotcha. Yeah, yeah like they were ish. Yeah, they were very close and Vickers appointed him Cork Herald, which is like the official herald of County Cork. Cork. The dork <laughs> from Cork. Again, this job <laughs> I think didn't that's a book. Yes, it did. This job didn't pay, but it secured Pierce's job like in the bureaucracy. Uh-huh. Um it also super pissed off Pierce's dad, who was Vickers' half brother, who was a staunch <laughs> 
nationalist MP and did not appreciate his son working for the enemy. Excuse me, I mean the crown. The crown. <laughs> the other position was for Dublin Herald, and for that, Vickers chose his close friend, Francis Richard Shackleton. Yes. What? No. Ernest was his older brother. Oh, sweet. Oh, man. Oh, man. I fucking love it. I love a good death oh. in the Arctic story. Here we go. In- ah, that Northwest Passage, baby. Keep <laughs> looking. They it's going to show up anytime. Anytime now. We're going to get past all these icebergs and find the open polar sea. That's it's right. right there. And then, and then right we're going to get to India. Yep. <laughs> and then we're going to get to Asia. Yep. Right. It's just right there. It's just right there. Okay. So Get down that offer, man. Just trying to look around. It's just right there. Just like, that's it. Ned Majagoff's. <laughs> Nothing Ooh, down here. In Northwest 1897, Paris. Francis Richard Shackleton wrote to Vickers with a question regarding what else genealogy. <laughs> and he later wrote Seems again, reasonable. hoping to get a job with the College mm. of Arms in London. <laughs> Find um, Francis with a heart over the eye. Correct. <laughs> the job didn't work out because Francis had to go and fight in the Second Boer War. And he came home in 1901 with an injury that gave him a pension for life. I wonder if he was involved in the siege of Mafeking. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> with Baden Powell. Um, in 1903, Bickers remembered his friend Shackleton and he invited him to serve as gold staff officer for King Edward VII's visit to Ireland. So this is gold 1903. Staff. I don't know what a fucking gold staff. There's like, look, to this day, the opening of Parliament includes a man who's also maybe a thing, who's also a symbol, who's also an idea <laughs> called Black Rod. Yeah, and yeah. it's like not racist. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. There. So he's like, "Shit, we need a gold staff officer. Let me call Shackleton." Okay. Damn country. Francis Shackleton was delighted to be the Dublin Herald. He thought it made him look more Irish, which was more interesting than basically being from the suburbs. It said that he was born like within a stone's throw of the Crystal Palace, you know. But he's like, he's like, I'm Irish, you know. And it, and it worked. Shackleton, Scottish, it's crap. Right. Shackleton was a member of four London clubs and had a bachelor pad at 44 Park Lane, where he was practically knee deep in invitations. One Aww. friend wrote that Francis was quote nice. extremely good looking and extremely depraved oh yeah. well <laughs> these make the best story oh yeah <laughs> it was not long after vickers appointed francis as dublin herald that francis ditched his pied de terre and the two men moved in together and yes we have reached the best friends in bachelor herald sharing rooms <laughs> portion of the show <laughs> holiday roommates we're just not married we're not <laughs> i am look look i'm we're really, really important friends. I am busy with my heraldry. Mm-hmm. Stop asking questions. <laughs> this new place was a semi-detached yet substantial early Victorian villa, and it allowed Vickers and Shackleton to live luxuriously on their double income, no kids financial plan. Oh, man. It also helped that Shackleton was gone most of the time, and Vickers was like, that's cool, I'll still like, you know, pay your bills, and uh-huh. it's fine. I'm totally not cheating on you either, bye. Bye. So we do not know for certain that Vickers and Shackleton were hitting it. Shackleton did have an official lover named Captain Richard Gorgeous. Richard Gorgeous? Are you kidding me? G-O-R-G-E-S. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Captain Richard Gorgeous. They met in South Africa where Gorgeous' service was described by an Irish member of Parliament as violent, bullying, and criminal. Great. That means he is like 
on top of it in bed, let me oh, tell you. furious. <laughs> Shackleton was also connected with suspected gay John Campbell, the Duke of Argyle, who is King Edward's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Speaking of socks. I know, right? Another <laughs> member of, of Vicar's office. So it was um, his nephew, Mahoney, Shackleton. And Ar- Duke of Argyle. <laughs> the, no, Duke of Argyle is, in Jason, is adjacent. But um, the other member of Vicar's office was a man named Francis Bennett Goldney. Um, those guys were both fellows in the Society of Antiquarians, and that's how they knew each other. In 1905, FBG asked Vickers if he could get him a job in the Office of Arms as a junior pursuivant. <laughs> and um, Vickers was like, I don't know you very well. Um, you have to get a recommendation from some friend of influence. Okay. So FBG wrote the Duke of Bedford, who then wrote the, wrote the Duke of Dudley, who was the king, called the queen, and the queen, queen called, called the her husband. Yeah, like a little bit of butter for my bread. So, Lord Dudley, who was the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, who then turned around and asked the Vickers, who was like, "Yeah, give him a job," but the government fell, and Lord Dudley was replaced by Lord Aberdeen. So Dudley's recommendation was scrapped, but. In 1906, the then Athlone Pursuivant <laughs> retired, and Vickers suggested uh, FBG, and Lord Aberdeen agreed. That's our new t-shirt. It just says Pursuivant. <laughs> Athlone Pursuivant. <laughs> Rounding out uh, Vickers' office were Miss Gibbon, the typist, William Stivey, the messenger who had formerly been in the Navy, and Miss Mary Farrell, the cleaner. So, moving on. Gotcha. Which one of them had the murder weapon? Uh, my vote's on the typist. Mm-hmm. Vickers was busy in the summer of 1907. That year, the Irish International Exhibition, which was like a World's Fair, mm-hmm. uh, launched in May and was scheduled to go into November. Among its attractions were a massive Japanese tea garden and an entire Somali village. Oh no! Oh my God! Including all of the Somalis that they kidnapped. Of course, it's not. How do they? They're just there. Oh God! Jesus! I fucking yeah! I'm having a little like it's bad montage in my mind of like captive. Natives yes, that uh, I've yes, seen. like humans exhibited in a zoo. Yeah. yeah, England was really big on that. They were good. Well, yeah. United States. Yeah. I mean, Peter uh, Barnum. Yeah, that's true. That's true. America isn't blameless, but Ooh. England did originate this. So, King Edward the Queen Alexandra, you. and Prince. What you say? We learned it from watching you. We did learn we it from watching you. you. No fucking shit. We learned it from watching you. <laughs> Where do you think we got any of this? Fucking England. You God. dare look down your nose at us, bitch. You know what, England? If you want to look down your nose at us, then you should have burned the Puritans. That's all I need to say. No, no. There was an easy way to solve that. All of this. America would be a completely different place if you had just kept that tradition. Fucking A. Fucking A. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Summer 1907. So the Irish International Exhibition. King Edward VII, Queen Alexandra, and Princess Victoria were due to come and visit the exhibition on July 10th. And during that time, the king was also going to invest Lord Castleton as the newest Knight of the Order of St. Patrick's, for which the jewels were required, and without them, oh. it would not be official. Oh. Right. You have to pin that shit on him, or he's not really the It's dude. not really it. Yeah. That's right. Uh-oh. We've made all of this up, and one of the important things in yeah. the thing we made up is the pinning on of the thing. Uh, the pinning on of the Of things. the rocks that we decided have value. Right. <laughs> so. Fuck. 
Now, the Irish War of Independence didn't kick off until 1919, delayed by World War One. but shit was already bubbling by 1907. The first oh iteration of Sinn Féin was founded in 1905, mm-hmm. and the Ulster Unionist Party was gearing up on their weapons importing operation, which would be in full swing by 1910. The Ranch War took place in 1906, and this was a major protest by the agricultural lower classes against landlords who controlled the agricultural Mm -hmm. land. So, like, shit was already going on. Constantly fucking going down. I remember, I'm sorry to butt this in here, but I've thought of it several times. Uh, I remember that in Gone with the Wind, the reason that Scarlet's dad had had to flee is because he killed a man for calling him an orange man. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's fair. Yeah. And so (laughs) Gerald O'Hara shot him and then had to flee to the United States. There was all, there had already been debate over how Irish this Irish international exhibition was going to be. Like. Wow. um, I'm sure they let it be very Irish. Especially was it. With a visit from the king. Like stew and shillelaghs and shit? Or- <laughs> I don't fucking... Well, you know, good... The good, the good ones. The good, good ones. Good unionists, okay. exactly. The king, Edward VII, wanted this to go really, really smoothly. I'm sure he did. Because... <laughs> one, well, one reason was because his nephew, Kaiser Wilhelm, <gasps> suffered oh. a scandal in 1906... Which we will get into Feature episode next week. <laughs> he, which we will get into later. It is now known as the Eulenburg Affair, oh. and this controversy included several prominent members of his cabinet and entourage being court-martialed and civilly trialed over correct accusations of widespread gay shit. Excellent. <laughs> this is a story for another day. That's right. Welcome to Gay Shit, Gay Shit, our newest podcast. <laughs> so Watch Arthur Vickers is frantically trying to get ready for this visit. Pierce Mahoney was <laughs> sick. And so he couldn't help. Shackleton was in London working on a Mexican land speculation deal, and we will get to that. And it sounds about as legit. I was going to say, I'm going to think about Shackleton in Mexico. The Mexican land speculation deal. Um, I'm so hot. FBG was working on his side gig as the mayor of Canterbury, because that was another reason that uh, Francis Bennett Gordney like, wanted to get into the thing, uh-huh. to like help it feather his political nest and so he can be the mayor of canterbury so he couldn't help either there was a lot going on which is perhaps why when um why vickers thought it was no big deal when on the morning of july 3rd mrs farrell the cleaner showed up early to the tower of bedford because you know the cleaner shows up at like four o'clock she in does, the morning man. And like, she's got to get everything ready yeah, for the people yeah. to get there right the to get there. and then she's like gone by 10 to her other job <laughs> and she showed up to the tower of bedford and found the door unlocked oh initially sir she, sir initially sir Initially, she thought that she's Irish. (laughs) Move back to the. I know she's Irish. We can't even do it. Initially, she thought that Detective Kerr, like I said, the the Dublin police and stuff were right in the castle. Yeah, yeah. and so initially, she thought that Detective Kerr, who was like the constable night watchman that went around at night. Uh, left it unlocked or that someone with a key had gotten there before her she didn't want to cause trouble for arthur vickers because he had a lot going on so she didn't she didn't call the police instead she waited for mr stivey the messenger to Mm -hmm. show up and told him what was going on and apparently this was very difficult for her because she had to quote overcome the rooted distrust she had for sailors in general and for stivey in particular (laughs) 
<laughs> so. I think that a, a women having a ge- distrust of sailors in general is wise. I, I don't, agree. I don't I, know, Stevie. I, I, I but think watch that's out. a healthy set of instincts to develop. Yes. Right. Yes. Trust. Trust your gut, ma'am. So she waited for Stevie and told him what was going on. And then she went home. And then Stevie. When Stevie told Vickers that Mrs. Farrell found the door open, he expected Vickers to be like surprised or alarmed or anything, but instead he said, Did she? Uh oh. Is that so? Guilty. Stevie said, Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Vickers went back to work. Even though he specifically had the jewels moved to Bedford Tower for extra special safekeeping, Vickers did not go check the safe. He didn't even tell the fucking police. Oh, even though oh, Detective boy. Kerr was aware that Vickers had another secret, a reason to be on alert. Vickers had lost his key to the front door. More specifically, the key had gone missing on June 27th after a visit from Vickers' old friend, Dr. Finney from Kingston on Thames. Uh-huh. I had my Finney. key fell out of my pocket while I was sucking your dick. <laughs> Correct. When Vickers arrived at Bedford Tower that day, the 27th, he had to have Detective Kerr open the door for him. And Kerr did, but he's like, You can't have my key like I need it. Uh-huh. And he's like, That's cool. So, okay. On July 3rd, Front door to the Bedford Tower was open. Right. Three days later, on July 6th, Mrs. Farrell came to work and found that the outer door to the strong room was unlocked. Remember, uh, the, jewels, us. the jewels weren't in the strong room because the safe couldn't fit through the door. <laughs> they were out in the clowning <laughs> lobby of the library. Exactly. Perhaps the opener remembered that, which is why the key was in the lock of the inner sort of metal mesh barred door, oh, okay. which was still locked. Miss Farrell, who still hadn't heard any follow-up to the front door thing yeah. three days ago, took the keys out of the lock and put them on Mr. Stivey's desk with a note explaining what happened. And she also noted that she waited for a long time, but he didn't show up. <laughs> uh, then she went home. Stivey showed up around 10 a.m., read the note, went to the strong room to see if anything was missing. And even though the safe wasn't in the strong room, other valuable shit was in there, mm-hmm. but it was all where it should be. Pierce Mahoney was also in the office that day. A messenger arrived from West and Son, who were the jewelers where the royal regalia right, right, right. stayed. And um, a one of the fancy giant gold collars had been at the jewelers because... Like, a previous lord had died, and they had to engrave his name on it. Okay. And then they were returning it. So, yeah, it's like, we've had it, and we'll give it back and to we're, you. And they returned... They, yeah, it's like, here we go, we're giving it back. And so Mahoney... Took the package, like, okay, cool, and he put it on Vickers' desk. And when Vickers arrived, Stivey told him Mrs. Farrell found another door unlocked, and once again, Vickers was all, hmm, Mrs. Farrell needs to go report this to someone else. Yes. (laughs) He, then Vickers went to his office, and there he found the package from the jewelers, and he gave the keys... He gave it to Stivey, saying, like, here's my keys. Mm-hmm. Go put it in the st- safe. And Stivey was like, what the fuck, dude? I am, like, the messenger. I'm the door opener. Yeah. I'm, like, the janitor. <laughs> right. You, yeah. You You're, don't give the bellhop the keys. <laughs> to the actual safe and be like, put this back. Um, you, Yeah. Stivey was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? Vickers had never asked him to handle the loot or open the safe, but he did what he was told. And when he got to the safe, he put the key in and turned it. But the safe wouldn't open, and then he realized that he had locked it, 
which uh, meant that it was had been unlocked. Oh my goodness! So Stivey's went right back up to Vickers. Wasn't me. It wasn't me. I swear to God. <laughs> and told him what happened. And together they went back down to the safe and discovered that the crown jewels were gone. <gasps> also, five golden collars had been taken along with the case containing Vickers' mother's diamonds. Apparently, she oh, was geez. like, "Put these in Get the, the safe, safe for me." You're there with the safe. Just put them there. This safe wasn't totally empty, though. The thief had left. A blue ribbon behind. This was not just any ribbon. Uh-oh. The badge jewel had a small hook on the back, which attached it to a sky blue ribbon. We've all seen those. Yes. Yeah. And um, the ribbon was mounted on the hook by a small clasp that was fastened by two even smaller screws. Okay. The thief could have taken the whole thing. He could have ripped the badge off the ribbon, which would have damaged the clasp. Instead, he took his time unscrewing and removing the badge from the ribbon which would take at least 10 minutes and also all of the tissue paper inside the uh, jewel right. boxes I'm only taking the jewels right the tissue paper in all the jewel boxes had been neatly refolded and replaced uh, sounds like somebody knew they had plenty, plenty of time. time i don't want this ribbon <laughs> i just want the real shit right uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah like a fucking thief thief would have just scraped it all into the bag and run right exactly yeah. no so at that point Vickers summoned the Dublin police who asked him when the la- when was the last time you saw these jewels and Vickers had to think about it for a bit and he finally said he was pretty sure he saw them on June 11th. This was July 6th. Yeah. Or maybe the 27th when he'd shown them off to Dr. Finney of Kingston-on-Thames. But then he thought back and was like, no, it was definitely the 11th, which means the jewels could have been stolen a month ago. A month ago. And he didn't fucking notice. No. Right away, Vickers was like, this is definitely not an inside job. How could it be? However, upon further investigation, the detectives concluded that the locks on the front door strong room door and the safe hadn't been forced in any way there also weren't any scratches inside the lock which means that they hadn't been picked or opened with a shitty duplicate key right this the, is like the actual key opened. the these. thief either used the original keys or had time to wait several days to have a good copy have keys made, made. <laughs> how many keys were there exactly Several. There were seven keys to Bedford Tower, one for Vickers, one for Mrs. Farrell, one for Stivey, and the others belonging to people working in and around the place. The outer strong room door had four keys held by Vickers, Stivey, Mahoney, and Vickers' secretary, although Vickers' secretary left their key, like, in the room. Right, right, right. The inner strong room door had two keys, one in Vickers' office and the other one that was just kept in the door. So it like wasn't um, defeats the point of locking a door. Just saying. And then there were two keys to the safe. One Vickers carried with him at all times and the other that was hidden inside his house. The police interrogated Vickers for two hours, coming to the conclusion that, yes, this was totally an inside job, but Vickers wasn't involved or didn't know about it. The King's visit to Dublin was postponed. Like, no way oh could he be there in official in any official capacity if he wasn't there wearing the magic brooch. And this, of course, was humiliating. And it was also <laughs> maybe perhaps a little symbolic because if the King can't come because the jewels are missing, does that mean that the King's power over Ireland is also <gasps> missing. missing? Excellent point. I like where this is going. The cops set a reward. It, it, it won't go that way. The cops set a reward for a thousand pounds, which is eighty three thousand. 1,992 pounds today, but it was never claimed. 
The Dublin uh, investigation, like the Dublin police investigation fizzled and Scotland Yard was called in. Right. An inspector named John Kane arrived on July 12th. He was Irish and very quickly concluded that this was an inside job. <laughs> he sent his report to the Dublin police and they straight up fucking rejected it. And then oh, and wow. Kane was like, mm, uh. then they sent him back to London and the report was gone. They were like, right, nope, no, bye. Bat, 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 so um, God knows who he named, la, 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 la. but the cops were not Shit. hearing it. The reward money generated a lot of tips. One woman wrote to Vickers saying her daughter had visions of the jewels. Oh, and Vickers okay, thank you, ma'am. was intrigued and had Francis Shackleton set up a seance for him. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. There, Vickers was told that the jewels were buried in a cemetery outside Dublin. <laughs> Under the corpse of a black cat. <laughs> and so, you know, any cemetery outside Dublin. So Vickers went out, got to digging. Right. There's and, only one. Right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> correct. Oh, just, yeah. And surprise, he didn't find the anything. No, oh, he didn't find anything, oh. but he did make the papers who were already mocking him for not adequately guarding these jewels. <laughs> In fact, the king had already called for Vickers' resignation, and Vickers refused, saying he'd done nothing wrong. Thank and you, instead. King. He blamed the Board of Works for fucking up the door to the strong room in the first place. The door that you left the keys in? Feeling wronged, Vickers demanded a royal commission, which is a trial where he could tell and the newspapers could hear his side of the story and witnesses would vouch for him. And the king said, no. <laughs> you, can have a, no. you can have a vice regal commission trial where there's no witnesses, it's barred from the public and the press, and uh, rested on the mandate that Vickers was in dereliction of his duty to guard the jewels and upon hearing this he was like you can have a vice regal commission and Vickers just like stood up and walked away like yeah, a no, bitch no, 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 no. well with him gone the vice regal commission found him in dereliction of his duties based on the statutes that he himself had written up oh. saying that the safe had to be in a strong room and because the safe was in the fucking library he had carry failed to carry out his, his duty, duties. and he Which, was again, fired. He ah! wrote out for himself. <laughs> but this did not put an end to the speculation. Did this put an end to the speculation? Absolutely Aaron? not. <laughs> oh man! Rumors were flying and reached the Lord Lieutenant Lord Aberdeen. Excuse me, that's Lord Lieutenant. You're right. It is. <laughs> Here's my open hand. Oh, there you go. Open hand to the my open yes. hand. Fucking salute. British salute. There you uh-huh. go. Okay. Uh, Mahoney. Vickers' nephew staunchly defended Vickers, even reaching out to members of Parliament. And but the members of Parliament refused to help because Vickers was known to associate with men of undesirable Un- character. Oh, no. It turns out that some MPs knew about Francis Shackleton, and more importantly, the King did too. I wonder how they knew. Hmm. Because it was the king's brother-in-law yes. that Shackleton was fucking. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, also, yeah. wretched hive of scum and villainy. villainy. Just gossip, 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 gossip. gossip, gossip, gossip. Also, God. I bet he, like, you know, they all went to Eton. Uh-huh. <laughs> which means buggery, what rum, sodomy, and the lash. Wait, that was the Navy. But still. <laughs> no, there was, there was still beating. And... So, anyway, anyway. Shit. Anyway. Despite all of this... Or maybe because of all of this, <laughs> the crown was eager to nip this story in the bud. They were like, no, 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 no. We cannot have any of this gay shit attached to the crown, even though it's my brother in law. It's not even like, it's like my sister's husband. Yeah. You know, that kind of brother in law. That kind of brother in law. <laughs> right. yeah, no, there's one thing that about Britain is that they all are insanely afraid of the fact 
that people might find out that they all fucked each other when they all went to school. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's like, to this day. being is evil. To this day. Did you take God. the dick out of your mouth long enough to say that? Oh, yeah, exactly. Evil. I'm sorry, what? I can't. What? Um, so they were more interested, the Crown is more interested in like shutting this shit up than they were in finding the jewels because the jewels, while delightful, weren't any great shakes. You know what? We've got a lot of hey, jewels. Hey, South Africa, can we have some more jewels? Brasilia, <laughs> South America, yeah. And these were just like brilliant diamonds. They're, they're, I mean, it's it's not like uh, Granny's chips or anything right, like that. Right, it's not like the big one. The big <laughs> one. So the king offered Vickers a full pension on the condition that he would stop asking for a public <laughs> oh, wait, trial. Uh, Vickers, Vickers refused this pension thinking it was hush money because, of course, he was because also... Because it was hush money. Because well, it, it was, was hush money. Um, What's the problem? The crown also put the squeeze on the Irish press, not to mention any gay shit. Remember, oh. the king's cousin, Kaiser Wilhelm, had the king's been... cousin, Kaiser no, Wilhelm. No, 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 he wasn't his cousin, it was his nephew. Nephew. You'll remember this name, Kaiser Wilhelm. Wilhelm who'd been <laughs> gay shit adjacent before, and Edward <laughs> did not want that shit on his own doorstep. Gay shit adjacent. <laughs> and the t-shirt. Uh, and the Irish press... Com- complied yeah 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 and things appeared to die down (laughs) until until an irish american newspaper called the gaelic american which was read widely in the american irish diaspora published a story saying shackleton and his posse were men suspected of unspeakable and disgusting offenses the article named shackleton as either the thief or a party to the thief of the jewels. And since his appointment to the office of arms, the peace continued, rumors began to circulate in Dublin that there were nightly orgies at the castle in which several prominent government officials were mixed up. Those whispered stories, the article asserted, were true, but had been hushed up at the direction of King Edward VII. This article was published anonymously, but everybody also knew that it was actually written by a man named Bulmer Hobson, who was a journalist and a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. I was, I was like, wait, there were like 10 things about to come out of my mouth. He did not reveal his sources, but later it came out that he got his information from Pierce O'Mahony. Vickers, super nationalist half-brother and father of Pierce Gunn Mahoney, Mm. who was trying to defend Vickers. Mm. Every time you say Pierce Mahoney, I think I hear Post Malone. Don't do that. I'm sorry. There's no face tattoos here. No. (laughs) It's interesting because Pierce O'Mahoney is P-I-E-R-C-E and Pierce Gunn Mahoney is P-E-I-R-C-E. Okay. Pierce Gunn? Well, guns do. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, anyway. So, Gun Mahoney sat down with a journalist and told him that they you weren't old. They're not orgies, you guys. Okay, look. It's just that Vickers... I know you heard the word orgy. It's just that Vickers was like a total lightweight, and when there were perfectly normal, not-gay government-sanctioned parties, (laughs) Vickers would often pass out. And like, for pranking reasons only his was- friends would rifle through his clothes until they found the keys to the safe and then they'd like remove the jewels and then like tiptoe back up to vicar's room and replace the keys for joke for, for joke. joke because it's for joke for and joke. that's why because it was such for joke that vicar's like wasn't freaked out or concerned when like doors People were like, left could, unlocked just like oh, i don't we just steal these all the time but don't tell them about who- it it's for god you guys it's not an orchard it's for just- joke Firstly. It's just to get the keys out of his pants, we had to take his pants 
off of him. We were feeling around in his pants and happened to find okay. keys. And okay. Then, and then wake him up and have Somebody sex Somebody who had prior knowledge of his pants <laughs> <laughs> knew. He's a privy counselor. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, master of the bed, James. <laughs> Obviously, this explanation didn't hold up because none of these pranksters, like, <laughs> chopped up the jewels. No. <laughs> um, nevertheless, the story eventually started to blow over and headlines faded away. The reward was never claimed and the jewels remain missing to this day. Buried in a church. There's a children's book that yeah, you I know, it. right. But yeah, there are right. theories. Shackleton did it. Remember his Mexican land speculation deal? I do indeed. It will not <laughs> surprise you to learn that it was a bust and Frankie Shack needed money to maintain his loche bachelor about town lifestyle. In 1907, he even testified that he was so broke that he had to borrow money from a loan shark. Also, gross bucket. He could not have done it because he wasn't even in Dublin at the That's time. Right. Checkmate. Jesus. Never mind that there was a whole month between the last sighting of the jewels and the discovery of the theft. However, theory has it he very well <laughs> could have has it. Ooh. had his insane lover Robert Gorgeous do the deed. <laughs> Wait, I, th- I thought it was Richard Gorgeous. It's Robert Gorgeous. Oh, okay. Ro- they were twins. They were both gorgeous. We're not twins. <laughs> gorgeous was a military... Total coincidence. Gorgeous was a military <laughs> man, so he would not stick out at Dublin Castle, which was crawling with soldiers. <laughs> also true. They also said that Shackleton or Gorgeous breaks, it, breaks up the jewels, which <laughs> no. were just a bunch of small diamonds. And sells them in Belgium. Oh, like, I, I took the brooch apart. Yes, and just I like busted, and now I have like some gold and, and a handful, handful of, of diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. Right, right. Some be- some be- he, that he broke them up and sold them in Belgium. Some believe that this was the conclusion of Scotland Yard's in- Inspector Kane, and his report ha- report had to be tossed because Shackleton knew so much, oh. knew too much about fucking the king's brother-in-law, <laughs> and they could not risk a public trial. That's true. Theory number two, Shackleton was blackmailed. Someone found out about his not-so-secret gay shit and threatened to expose him for real, so Shaq got the keys and sold the jewels to get him off his back. Theory number three, a bunch of unionists stole the jewels to embarrass Lord Aberdeen, who was a known nationalist who advocated for home rule. Right. Number oh, fucking f- home rule, no. No. And number four, a group of nationalists stole the jewels to embarrass the king to demand home rule. Because remember... These jewels represented the power, power of, of the, the crown. crown in Ireland, and so to take them... Home rule, no! Home rule, yes! Right. <laughs> Number five, Francis Barrett Goldney, FBG, did it because he was actually a thief all along. Notorious FBG. Notorious FBG. We just thought he loved antiques, though it wasn't discovered <laughs> until after his death, which was in, like, 1921, when his belongings were being readied for auction after mm-hmm. he died. Several ancient charters from the city of Canterbury and a very valuable painting belonging to a duke were found in his home. <laughs> Just like, for no reason. Yeah. He also had a fake gas tank on his car. Um. Uh, for smugglers. Smugglers. Nice. That's right. So, regardless of who actually done it, the men surrounding the case did not go on to lead long, happy lives. 
Uh, Francis Shackleton died, declared bankruptcy in 1910, owing 851,910 pounds. Oh, shit. And we know that 4,019,010 pounds is $250,000. $85,000, 19,10 pounds is over 6 million pounds. Yes. He fled to Portuguese West Africa, which is Angola. I was going to say, which is no longer called that. (laughs) Where he was busted for cashing a widow's checks. Oh my he God. got sent back to England and he served 15 months in the London prison. And uh, later he tried to embezzle money from a friend and he eventually had to like move in with his sister and he died broke. Would I, I, is that bad of me that I would rather do any of those things than serve time in an Angolan prison? He served time in a London prison. I yeah, mean, was he was English a gentleman prison. after all. It's, it wouldn't be as hot in that prison. <laughs> it would not. Yeah, it no. would be cold and damp though. That's true. And like, I will. We will post pictures. Well, first of all, I will get around to posting pictures from last week's episode, like any day now. But we will also post pictures of Francis Shackleton next to his brother Ernest Shackleton. And let me tell you something: Ernest got all the chins all in the family. The chins in the family. He's got like four chins, and Francis <laughs> has just like a zero pinpoint. You know. <laughs> Pierce Gunn Mahoney remained close with Vickers. I, I know that that's actually part of his name, but I can't think. Pierce Gunn Mahoney. Right. Seriously, like he's a WWE yeah. super Pierce. Yeah. Fucking dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> he won the Pogo Palooza. That's right. It's that one fist of iron and the other steam. That's right. So Pierce Gunn Mahoney remained close with Vickers. Uh, by 1914, he was... In 1914, he was due to have tea with some neighbors, and he planned to get there by rowing across a pond, as you do. As you do. This pond was lousy with waterfowl, and so Mahoney took a shotgun with him, and the next day he was found near the boathouse, shot through the heart. Oh. So, like, we don't know what happened. I was... Uh, you don't know what happened, but you do not shoot at waterfowl with a rifle and accidentally shoot yourself in the heart. No, he had say. a shotgun. Okay, then it would be even harder to accidentally shoot yourself in the heart. In the chest with a shotgun. Right. You have to get your toe involved in that shit. Yes. In a rowboat. In a rowboat. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's, Full disclosure, it seems- I own a shotgun. And <laughs> it's so heavy. It's so heavy and much longer than a person's arm. It's like, I don't even think my toe would count. I don't know. No. My legs aren't long enough. I'm short, but Eddie Murphy got. <laughs> I was going to say, even a normal person. Right. Get up my legs. Francis? I'm legs, Eddie Murphy. I got no legs. <laughs> And I'm running. No, that's uh, the fucking that's Will Smith from Where the Day Takes You. His very first movie. Yes, yes. It's all about like homeless kids mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He Will Smith plays a an actual dude or based on an actual dude. right. Who's he like pretends to be handicapped to panhandle. Uh-huh. And I just remember Will Smith in the subway in his wheelchair going, "I got no legs." One, two. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm so, sorry. Francis Bennett Goldney. Goldney. F- FBG was elected to parliament <laughs> in 1910 and in 1917 was appointed attache to Paris. In 1918, he was involved in an unspecified motoring accident and died of a renal hemorrhage. Ow. And then later, found to be a total thief who had a fake gas can attached to his car for like no reason, no reason. at all. Packed full right. of jewels. Indeed. So after being fired, Vickers tried to set up his own genealogical practice in London, <laughs> uh, but it never really took off. He moved back to Ireland, where he lived in a place called Kilmorna House with his new wife, Gertrude Wright, bless her heart, <laughs> whom he married in... Gertrude ni- Wright, that's the most Irish name I've ever... <laughs> right, whom he married in 1917. There, he was an outspoken unionist offering 
offering food and shelter to the British soldiers that roamed the countryside. On April 14, 1921, 30 armed men broke into the house, pulled him, and pulled him from his bed. 30? 30. Fucking hell. The house was set on fire and Vickers was shot several times in front of his wife and a placard was left on his body saying, Spy, informers beware, IRA never forgets. And that Ooh, is the story damn. of the fact of the Irish crown jewels. Boom. They have never been found. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure they were completely disassembled and sold. In so, yeah. And like, here's my shit. I okay. got a mental floss article, a very Irish scandal, the gay rumors behind the unsolved Irish crown jewels heist of 1907. Nice. By Birgit Katz, March 28th, night. Uh, 2022 Atlas Obscura the greatest unsolved heist in Irish history scandal conspiracy and cover-ups and the theft of the Irish crown jewels from Dublin Castle and a YouTube video from the Cary Writers Museum called Sir Arthur Vickers and the Irish crown jewels nice. and that one was great it was just it was like a dude it was like remember Dr. Fears when at uh-huh. OU and he yeah. would go and tell you about the Peloponnesian War like mm-hmm. you're living it you know yeah god I had a few really good history professors uh huh right and he was the same thing he yeah. was there like telling the fucking story and it was like, the best, like yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I went to one of those. Yeah, we were just, he was like describing uh, the third battle of Thermopylae. <laughs> it was just kind of like you know, casually like grabbing a student sitting on the aisle, like making stabbing, stabbing them. Yeah, yeah. And so it that was awesome. one about the that's oh, that's good stuff. So yes, that is the theft of the Irish crown jewels. No idea, and I love learning about gay shit. I yeah. know it's secret, gay, but like ultimately they decided that Vickers. Was not involved, and signs do point to Shackleton. Signs, signs do yeah. point to Shackleton. The, whenever you're involved in a Mexican land speculation deal, that I surprise hate. doesn't turn out. This and this, this is not no aspersions on anyone in Mexico. This is totally the whiteies. Uh-huh. They're like, I'm. And you're like, no, 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 no that's no, bad. No, no, Whoever that's told bad. you that, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. This is bad. All this is bad. That also, really what good. the fuck, Englishman, do you know about Mexico? <laughs> Jesus Christ, of all the things England doesn't know a goddamn thing about. And it's a list. But Mexico yeah. is on the list, let me tell you. Indeed. They I only like recently sto- discovered tacos in that country. For crying out loud, you it, guys. How long did it fucking take you to discover? 2,000 years, that's how long. Like, <laughs> look, cumin and cilantro makes a great dish. Okay. Ta-da! Uh, and I like stories where unionists end up dead. <laughs> Yeah, Brian really does because it. Yeah, it was like it was a super unionist job, mm, but yeah, yeah, I I'm like either Shackleton did it, but I also really really like the idea that the nationalists were like fuck this shit. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I know. It's like, like, we stole these jewels and caused the cancellation of the king's visit right. to the Irish International Exposition, which is yeah. like what. Is Irish here, right? Uh-huh. No, it's good. That's a good story all the way around. I really love it when oppressed peoples find good ways to fuck their oppressors. Me too. Like really poetic and you're ways, like, this you isn't going to change anything. It's not going to change anything, but, but this is going to humiliate hurt and humiliate. It's like, going to fuck shit up. Yeah, in yes. a very real way, it's hitting them where it hurts the worst. It really does. It really is. It's just, you know, there's like, no, you can't put a price on that. We stole the jewels, and now according to the own, like, random dumbass rules that you yeah. decided, now you can't come here. Can That's you? right. Can yeah, you? Oh, Without changing can't. the rules. Well, you're Friends, just too humiliated, and you can't, um, you know, honor Lord fucking Casterwald or whatever <laughs> it is Sucks for the suck. honor of St. Patrick because they're, the jewels aren't here. So, oh, man, that's good shit. Good job. It is. Yay. It is Love good. secret guys. Aaron Gobra. Aaron Gobralis. Fwank. 
Madness Madness is hosted by Aaron Byrne and Amanda Clay, with occasional outbursts from Brian Byrne, who is me. Brian Byrne records and edits the show. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please, if you enjoy the show, uh, rate us and leave a review. Leaving reviews helps people find the show. And the more people listen to the show, the more people you'll have to talk about the show with. I mean, just mull that over. You can also listen to us online at madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can find links to our social media on madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can email us your thoughts about stuff at madnessmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.